Uh, we're going to study God's Word together. That's what we do here at Cornerstone Chapel. That's what we do here at Young Adults. So grab your Bibles and you can turn with me to the book of Exodus once again. Exodus chapter 17. Two weeks ago we began this study uh, looking at the different names of God as He reveals Himself in Scripture. Uh, we've talked about how names are meaningful, how names are important, how names carry weight with them. Uh, we've talked about how names... Uh, carry certain associations or connotations with them. Uh, so maybe you go by a nickname. Uh, you know, basically, if, if your nickname's Slim, that means you're skinny. If your nickname Chubbs, it means you got a little extra poundage on you, okay? Names have different kinds of associations. We talked about how when I say the name Michael Jordan, you think basketball. When I say the name Bill Gates, you think money. When I say the name Hillary Clinton, you think emails, okay? So different names have different kinds of associations, different connotations. Uh, names are powerful. Names are meaningful. And God, He reveals Himself to us in Scripture by His attributes, by His different names given in Scripture. Uh, one of my favorite verses is Psalm 8.1. It says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth. So God's name is majestic. God's name is holy. God's name is to be revered. God's name is not to be used Lightly, God's name is powerful. So if names here on earth mean a lot, and the different associations or connotations with someone's certain name or nickname, then how much more powerful and meaningful, how much more valuable is God's name? And so two weeks ago, we looked at our first name. We looked at the name Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh, is that the name? Okay. Jehovah Jireh, that was our name two weeks ago. And it means the Lord will provide. And we were in Genesis chapter 22, and Abraham was called by God to sacrifice his son named Isaac. Now this was confusing for Abraham, obviously. When he was called by God to kill his own son, so then God, uh, he calls Abraham up to a mountain. Abraham, he's just faithful to obey, and he proceeds with obedience and trust in the Lord. And then what God does is God provides a ram. And then Abraham was able to sacrifice the ram instead of his own son. And there Abraham gladly called upon the name of the Lord and said, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord provides. The Lord is my provider. Even more so the name Jehovah Jireh means the Lord will see to it. So just like Abraham, in your confusing season, where you're walking through life and you're not exactly sure why the Lord is calling you to a certain thing or where the Lord is guiding you, you, you desire certain things in life, like maybe marriage or a certain job, but you're confused as to the road that God is taking you. Our job, like Abraham, is just to be obedient, to trust that the Lord's going to provide, to trust that the Lord sees you and that the Lord is going to see to it that he'll provide. And it always doesn't happen in our timing uh, with our expectations of how we would like God to provide. But the Lord is faithful to provide in His timing and in, and in His way because it's what's best for us as His kids. So the Lord will provide Jehovah Jireh. That was two weeks ago. Last week we talked about the name Jehovah Rapha. Special, beautiful name. It means the Lord that heals. We were in Exodus chapter 15. And it's where God takes Moses, the leader of the Israelite people. He takes them through the Red Sea. They've been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. God parts the Red Sea. The Israelites walk through the Red Sea. God swallows the Egyptian army in the sea. And the Israelites make it safely to the other side. So now they're making their way to the promised land. And the Bible says that they go three days without water. 
They're so thirsty, and then they finally come across this river. Oh, this river. Yes, thank you, Lord Jehovah Jireh. And then it says that they taste the water, but the water's bitter. So they spit the water out. And they start complaining against God. God, you brought us to this river. What is this, a sick joke? And the water, it says, was bitter. And they named the place Mara, which literally means bitterness. But then what does God do? We talked about this last week. God healed the waters. He turned them from bitter to sweet. We talked about how God, that's what God wants to do in our lives. God wants to heal Jehovah Rapha. God wants to heal broken relationships and broken marriages and broken friendships. God is still in the business of healing. He loves to be called by this name, Jehovah Rapha. And we talked about the importance of God healing any bitterness that we have in our hearts. Especially when we hold bitterness against people that may have hurt or offended you in your past. Maybe abuses in your past. Um, maybe, maybe offense has been recent where a friend or a parent or a, uh, some, some kind of relationship that they hurt you. And you now hold bitterness in your heart towards that person. We talked last week about how God is not a God of bitterness, but God wants His followers to be people who forgive. God wants to heal our hearts of bitterness so that we no longer hold our bitterness against people because God forgave us in Jesus Christ. Therefore, let's do that and be followers of Christ and forgive other people no matter the offense because God has forgiven us of much first. And God is still in the business of healing, and He can heal bitterness in our hearts. It's tough, and it's hard. But through time and through prayer, God's power, His healing power in our lives and in our hearts, He loves to see that work in His children. So that was last week. Tonight, we are looking at a new name here in Exodus 17, Jehovah Nisi. Let me hear you say Nisi. Let me hear you say Nisi. All right, I think it was a little hard through the mask, so it was a little muffled. Jehovah Nisi, and this is a beautiful name in Scripture here in Exodus chapter 15. This is what the name means, the Lord my banner. The Lord is my banner. We're going to talk about what this means. Does anybody remember that old uh, Sunday school song? Um, how does it go? I, oh, here, here's how it goes. I am my beloved's and he is mine. His banner over me is love. Okay, just me? All right. This just got really awkward. That's an old Sunday school song back in the day. Okay, we got some people remembering it here. Or maybe you're applauding my amazing vocals. I don't know. But this is Jehovah Nisi. The Lord is my banner. His banner over us. We're going to talk about what this name means here. Let's dive in. And I want you to note the interesting point here. I want you to note with me here is this. Listen up. The context in which God reveals this name. It's extremely important. The context in which God reveals this name to His people, Jehovah Nisi, is in the context of war. It's in the context of, of, of a battle. We're going to see the Israelite people in a battle. Many of you tonight, you're currently walking through some kind of battle. Uh, maybe you don't even realize it. Uh, but many of you are cognizant or aware of the fact that you are struggling with something, that you're going through a battle. Maybe that's a battle with lust. Or maybe that's the battle with pornography. Or maybe you're struggling with fear or with worry. Or maybe your battle is with anxiety and depression. Whatever battle you may experience, you will experience some kind of struggle or battle in this lifetime. It's the nature of humanity as sinful fallen people. We will at times struggle and walk through life 
going through battles. Becoming a follower of Jesus Christ does not mean that life will now be free of struggle. But it now means that we have someone who will be with us in the midst of our struggle. And so we go through battles. So we're going to look at the context here of a war of a battle. And this is where God reveals his name to his people. I find it so amazing here. And so let's look at Exodus chapter 17. Let's start reading in verse 8 with me. Exodus 17, start reading in verse 8. It says, Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out. Fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And then the Lord said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called its name, The Lord is my banner, or Jehovah Nisi. For he said, Because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So let's pray, and let's dive into our study together. God, we come before you tonight, and we are excited to learn this new name, Jehovah Nisi. And I pray that you would fill us now with, with your spirit. And I pray that any distractions we brought into young adults tonight, I pray that you would really... Help us just to kind of remove those different distractions out of our minds so that we might just clearly focus on you, Lord. I pray that your word would would now just accomplish the purposes for which you desire to achieve, Lord. That you would begin to soften our hearts. That we would hear clearly from you tonight, God, through the teaching of your word. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name and all God's people said together, amen and amen. So we come now here to Exodus chapter 17. It's only two chapters later from where we were in Exodus chapter 15. And so where we started off, it says in verse 8 that the Israelites, they were continuing their journey from Egypt, now as freed people, to the promised land. But it says here in verse 8 that Amalek, he attacks the Israelite people. Now Amalek is a people group also known as the Amalekites. Okay, the Amalekites... They traced their ancestry back to a man named Amalek. Now, Amalek, the Bible says, was the grandson of Esau. So the Amalekites traced their lineage back to Esau. The Israelites traced their lineage back to a man named Jacob. Jacob and Esau were brothers. So Amalekites belonged to Esau. Israelites belonged to Jacob. Jacob and Esau are brothers. That means that the Amalekites and Israelites are somewhat distant cousins. So it's family fighting against family here. And it says that the Amalekites, they attack the Israelites. Now you have to keep in mind, the Israelites, they've been slaves for 400 years. Okay, they're not prepared for battle. They've never seen war. They've never experienced war. They've never fought war. They've been slaves for 400 years. So this is the very first war that the Israelite people face along their journey to the promised land. So they're unprepared and they're caught off guard. It says that Amalek begins to attack the Israelites. So what does Moses do? It says that Moses commissions this guy named Joshua. 
And Joshua basically is the new general of the IDF, the Israeli Defense Force. And what happens is, uh, Joshua, Moses tells Joshua, hey, Joshua, I want you to do this for me, if you could. I want you to go uh, and, and, and rally up as many fighting men as you possibly can, and I want you to go and fight and hand-to-hand combat with the Amalekites. In the meantime, this is what Moses tells Joshua, in the meantime, I'm going to go up to the top of a hill, and I'm going to hold a staff up in my hand. Now, at this time, listen, if I'm Joshua, I'm thinking like, are you serious? Are you serious right now, Moses? This is a joke. You're telling me to go hand-to-hand combat with the Amalekite army, and you're going to go to the top of a hill and hold a stick up in your hand? And this is what Moses does. So this is actually um, that exact staff of Moses. Um, I, this is legit. I, I dug it up in my archaeological digs in the Holy Land. And uh, no, this is actually a, a shepherd's staff. It's my dad's. I honestly don't know why he has it. Um, we're not shepherds. Um, we don't own any sheep. I think a friend gave it to him. Um, but point number one, uh, it's okay to steal as long as you know the person. So I stole this from my dad uh, for purposes of illustration. So the Bible says here in verses 9 and 10 that Joshua goes to fight. He obeys Moses. And Moses goes up to the hill and he holds a staff literally a shepherd's staff, up in his hands. And the Bible says that Moses, when he lifted the rod up above his head, the Israelite army was winning. But when his hands got tired and he brought the rod down, it says the Amalekites started to win. So if I'm Moses, I'd honestly kind of be tempted just to like, just to like do that real quick to see like what was going on in battle. But uh, that's just, that's just my immature humor. So Moses, it says that he, he raises the rod up above his head for that entire battle. And when, when he does, the Israelites advance. And when he grows tired, he brings his, arm down, his arms down. The Amalekites advance. It's kind of like a tennis match, basically. Like you're, you're watching, arms come down, Amalekites start to push back, arm, arms go up, Israelites start to push back. And so Moses, he realizes that God is with him when he holds his hands up with the rod, with the staff. And so he tries to hold his hands and his arms up as long as he can so that the Israelites finally get victory. Now, there was nothing special about the rod in and of itself. There's nothing magical or powerful about the rod in and of itself. It was about the God who was acting behind the staff, behind the rod. For those unfamiliar with Moses' life, Moses' life can be divided evenly into 40-year periods, three 40-year periods. So from birth to 40, he was in Pharaoh's palace uh, living a life of luxury. And then the Bible says that he kills an Egyptian and he flees to a land called Midian, Arabia. And for those next 40 years, from the time he's 40 to the time he's 80, he's a shepherd tending sheep. And then at the age of 80, God calls Moses, go back to the Israelites and free them from their slavery. And so the next 40-year period, he's living as the leader of the complaining Israelites, leading them to the promised land. But it was in that middle period where God revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush. Exodus chapter 3 and 4. Moses is a shepherd. He's tending sheep in Midian. And the Bible says in Exodus chapter 3 and 4 that God appears to Moses in a burning bush, tells him, I want you to go back to your people and free them. Moses is terrified. Then the Lord says, he asks Moses, what is in your hand? And Moses says, a staff. 
And then in Exodus chapter 4, verse 17, God tells Moses, that's right. Now I want you to go back and use your staff to perform miraculous signs with it. Now there was nothing, again, powerful in and of itself, uh, in the rod in and of itself. In other words, God used something completely ordinary, a shepherd's staff, to display his power and his glory to the Israelite people. There was nothing about the rod in and of itself that was magical. Okay, this isn't Harry Potter's wand saying, costing spells, osteoporosis. Okay, there was nothing like magical about the rod in and of itself. There was nothing special about it. It was just an ordinary tool that God used to display for his power and his purposes. We see this all throughout scripture where God uses something ordinary to do something extraordinary. We see this um, in... In the book of Judges with Samson, Samson uses a donkey's jawbone, and he takes something ordinary. But with God, he defeats a whole Philistine army. We see this with David. He takes an ordinary slingshot and some rocks, but with God, he defeats the giant Goliath. In the New Testament, we see an unnamed boy. He brings a, a school lunchbox with some fish and some bread. But with God, Jesus used it to feed thousands of people. God takes ordinary things and uses them to accomplish extraordinary purposes. You might be here tonight and you might be thinking, I'm just an ordinary person. I I have ordinary gifts, ordinary abilities, ordinary skill sets, an ordinary personality. Listen, God uses ordinary people and ordinary abilities and ordinary skill sets and ordinary personalities. But those people who have a passion for the love of God, he takes ordinary people and uses ordinary things to accomplish amazing purposes. Don't underestimate God's power in your life. When you think, how could God use me? I'm ordinary. You look all throughout Scripture, God used ordinary people and He used ordinary things a staff, a jawbone, a slingshot because God loves to use ordinary things to accomplish amazing purposes for His glory so that we as ordinary people accomplish big things for the Lord not for our glory but all for the Lord's glory all for His purposes all to lift up the name of Jesus. God loves to use ordinary things for his purpose. So that's, that's a point I want you guys to write down if you're taking notes. Don't underestimate your ordinary life or your ordinary abilities. Because with God, he takes ordinary people like myself and like us. And he does, he can do incredible things to display his power. So this is what God does with Moses. He, he takes this shepherd's staff. And this wasn't the first time that, that Moses used this staff. Okay, in Exodus chapter 8, uh, God said to Moses, hey, hold this up. And through you, I'm going to send the plagues. So Moses in Exodus 8, he raised up the rod and God sent plagues. In Exodus chapter 14, God said, Moses, raise up your staff and he parted the Red Sea. So here we are in Exodus chapter 17, this same shepherd's staff that Moses has been using now. It probably carries all the way back to when he was just an ordinary shepherd in Midian. God uses this staff to accomplish this purpose. And as long as Moses was holding it up, then the Israelites were victorious against the Amalekites. And that's what happens. The Israelite army defeats the Amalekites. But we do have to cut Moses a break because he's 80 years old at this point. And the Bible then says, in the next following verses, in verses 12 through uh, 13, 
It says Moses got tired, and so he has two of his buddies. Two of his buddies notice that he's tired as he's holding up the rod. And so the Bible says, we just read it, that uh, Abraham, or Abraham, I'm in last week's Bible study, or two weeks ago, uh, Moses, he has two buddies. One's name is Aaron, and one's name is Hur. Now, Aaron is uh, Moses' brother. Uh, Hur is a dude, okay? So that would, that would honestly be rough. If, if you're a dude and your name is Hur, that would, that would just be, that would kind of be rough. But Hur is a guy, and Scripture tells us that Hur is Caleb's son. So Moses, he has Aaron and Hur, and Aaron and Hur notice that Moses is becoming weary in battle. As he's doing his best to hold this rod up, and he's 80 years old, so Moses and Aaron, they come alongside, and Aaron on one side, Hur on the other, they hold up Moses' arms. And they tell him to sit down, and they do this, the Bible says, until sunset. And then they're victorious against the Amalekites. And so Aaron and Hur, a couple of Moses' buddies, they, they help him hold up his staff. And God, through Moses and the Israelites, defeat the Amalekite army. And then what I find so interesting is in verse 14. In verse 14, God tells Moses, after they are victorious, I want you to write this down and remember it. I want you to write this down. Now, the reason that I find that interesting is a lot of cool things have happened up to this point. All right, the the plagues over the nation of Egypt. God didn't say at that time, hey, Moses, I want you to write this down. Now, he would later, but not at the time it happened. And then you get to Exodus 14 and God parts the Red Sea. You don't see God telling Moses then, hey, write this down. This is going to be a movie later. This is going to be a good movie, an animated movie, and we got to write this down. We got to jot this down. We don't see that happen, not in the moment. Obviously, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Moses pens those things and those events later. But this is the first time in the whole Bible we see the word write. God says, write this down. I want you to remember this. So what is it about the story that we should take note of and remember? Well, figuratively speaking, as I mentioned, there are many battles that we will face in life in general. And so I think that there are some principles we can learn in this story to help us along the way fight our battles. So the first point is this. Battles come when we're in comfortable places. Battles come when we're comfortable. In verse 8, notice where the Israelites are when they're first attacked. It says in verse 8 that they're camping at a place called Rephidim. Rephidim in the Hebrew literally means resting places. The Israelites are just kicking back. Rephidim is is still a place known today, beautiful palm trees, a very luxurious, fruitful spot. The Israelites are just camping back, laying back at Rephidim, just kicking back and having a great time. So they become comfortable. You can sense maybe a, a little bit of laziness possibly. As they're making their way through the promised land, they stop and they camp here at Rephidim, resting places. And I don't think it's any surprise that... The enemy, Satan, loves to attack us when we're most comfortable in life. When we're just kind of kicking back. When we're a little bit too comfortable. Maybe taking a spiritual break. We're not in the Word. We're not in prayer. We're not in fellowship with other like-minded believers. We've become a little spiritual, apathetic possibly. And this is when the enemy loves to pounce when we're most vulnerable, when we're most comfortable is when we're most vulnerable. And the Bible includes many warnings about being self-controlled, being alert, being on the lookout. And 1 Peter 5.8 says, 
Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Uh, Matthew 26, verse 40, 41, Jesus told his disciples when he was being, uh, b- before he went to the cross, he said, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, Paul says, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be men and women of courage, be strong. So we see that the place of greatest vulnerability is a resting place, like the times when we've become too comfortable, too casual, and too at ease. So an encouragement and a warning for all of us, if you're becoming too comfortable and becoming a little spiritual apathetic, not in the word, be on guard. The enemy might just be around the corner. This was the Israelites hanging out at Rephidim, resting places. This is when Amalek attacked. This is uh, point number two that we have to be aware of. Battles are fought with the help of true friends. Battles are fought with the help of true friends. Here are two guys, Aaron and Hur, who notice Moses becoming weary as he's holding up the rod. And so what do they do? They come alongside Moses. There's nothing in it for them. They sit Moses on a rock. And they hold up his arms. Do you have Aaron's and hers in your life? When you're going through a battle, who can help keep you accountable? Who can help encourage you through hard times, through difficult struggles, through difficult seasons? Do you have those people, maybe close friends or family members, that you have surrounded yourself with, that when you're going through it, when you're going through a battle, your friends can come alongside and they can hold up your arms. They can support you. Are you an Aaron or a her in someone else's life? Do you, when you notice your friends or your, you know, your acquaintances, when you notice that they're, they're just different, something's off about them, that they, you kind of have discerned that maybe they're going through a, different, a difficult struggle or maybe you're aware of the battle or the struggle that they're going through. Are you Aaron or her to someone else that you come alongside them and, and you don't necessarily say anything You don't have to really help them try to fix their problem or work through the battle with them per se, but you're just coming alongside and you're saying, I'm here. I'm here for you. You're just there to be that support system. You're holding up their arms through the battle so that they're not alone, so that they're not going through the battle isolated, so that they have that friend in hard times to help them hold up their arms. Galatians 6.2 says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. So battles are fought with the help of true friends. And last point, point number three, battles are won when we fix our eyes on Jesus and we rally to him as our place of refuge. So battles come when we're comfortable. Battles are fought with true friends, but battles are won when we fix our eyes on Jesus and we find him as our ultimate place of refuge. You see, at the end of this battle, it says in verse 15, Moses built an altar, and he names it Jehovah Nissi, the Lord is my banner. See, Moses recognized that the Lord was Israel's banner under which they defeated the Amalekites. This is the only place where this name of God appears in the entire Bible. Right here, Jehovah Nissi, the only place we see this name. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is my banner. The root word for Nisi, it means to be lifted up or to be on display. To be lifted up or on display. And it sometimes is translated as a pole with an insignia attached. You see, in battle, opposing nations, they would each take their respective flags 
and they would rally the troops around the flag. And then what they would do is they would take that flag that had their emblem on it and they would place it at their respective front lines. And as the soldiers are fighting in battle, that insignia, that pole lifted up on display was supposed to be for those soldiers a signal of hope and truth. To keep your eyes not fixed or focused on the enemy and the strength of the enemy, but that flag held up in the middle of the battlefield was supposed to resemble a beacon of hope so that the soldiers could look to that flag and remember they're not alone. This is what God is for us, church. God is that banner that is lifted high that when we're going through hard times or we're going through struggles or difficulties or we're fighting battles in our lives where we can look to God as that place of refuge. The Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, it literally translates this name, Jehovah Nisi, it translates it as Kyrios Fuge. means the Lord is my refuge. So when that flag is lifted up in battle and you see that flag and you know you're going through hard times, you look to Christ, you look to the Lord, and he says, I'm never going to leave you nor forsake you in this battle. This is what Christ is for us. The beautiful parallel of the Old Testament to the New Testament is that Jesus Christ became our Jehovah Nissi, our banner, when he was lifted up on a pole called a cross. And that now is our emblem, our signal. When you see people wearing the cross necklace, you see the cross in different places. You look at that emblem and you look at that signal, and you say, that is the signal of my hope so that I won't be defeated by the enemy. Because Christ was lifted up on a pole. He became our signal. He became our emblem of hope. So that when you're going through battles, you're going through tough times, you're struggling with something, you look to, you look to God, you look to Christ. Because He's that signal, that beacon of hope. This is where battles are won. This is where battles are won, church. So I don't know maybe what you are currently struggling with. Hard times, difficult times, or a specific battle, temptation that the enemy has used to war against your soul for years. You look to the Lord. And you take that emblem, that signal of the cross of Jesus Christ, and you tell the enemy about the banner you're under. Because the beauty of it is, the battle's already been won. The battle has already been won by Jesus when he was lifted up on that pole for your sins and my sins. So that when the enemy tries to shame you, when the enemy tries to guilt you, when the enemy tries to bring the battle to you and attack you, you tell him the emblem, the banner that you belong to. I'm fighting not for victory, but I'm fighting from victory. The battle has already been won because of the Lord that I serve, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for my sin. And if you seek him and you look to him as your place of refuge, it will help you in your current struggle.
and life. And this is what Psalm 46 says. Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, the Lord Almighty is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. Can I get an amen tonight? The Lord is our fortress. So don't fix your eyes on your problems, but fix your eyes on his presence because he is Jehovah Nissi, the Lord, our banner. And Lord, we, we do ask God that you would help us in our current struggle, Lord, whatever it might, might be, the battle with lust or the battle with pornography or the battle with fear, the struggle with worry or depression or anxiety, the battle of broken relationships. Lord, whatever battle we may have been through, are going through now, or will face in the future, God. I pray that you would recall Exodus chapter 17 to our minds, that we would know that you are our banner. After Moses defeated the Amalekites, he went and built an altar, and he called it Jehovah Nisi because he realized that you were the banner under which you defeated the enemy. And so we, we choose to rest and trust in that, Lord, that you are the banner that covers us, You are that signal, that beacon of hope that we can look to in times of trouble. And therefore, we don't have to be afraid because we're not fighting for victory, but we're fighting from victory. We worship you and we praise you as our Jehovah Nisi, as our banner, Lord. So I commit my brothers and sisters to you tonight and I lift them up to you, God. And I pray that you would reveal yourself to them personally as their banner, as Jehovah Nisi, Lord. We lift up our battle to you. We lift up our struggles to you. We lift up our fears and our worries to you, God. And we ask that you would help us because you delight to reveal yourself to us as Jehovah Nisi. We love you, God. And now as we go about our week, may we be at peace May we be happy people, joyful people who know that this isn't our home, but our home is in heaven with you and therefore we can rejoice and may we love other people as you have loved us first. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen.